Thank you, Nicole. Good morning, church. Good to see you this morning. If you haven't opened up to uh, John 18, I want to encourage you to do so. We need to walk through this story together, and I want you to see it um, coming off the page in your Bible or in one of the copies of God's Word that we have there for you. So please open with me. Please read along in this story. Uh, it's a wonderful story that, that has two similar bookends, but right in the middle we've got uh, uh, some helpful um, details regarding Jesus' uh, part in this story. Um, one of the things that has arisen in our culture uh, predominantly uh, because of social media and online presence is something called cancel culture. Uh, you have probably heard this. This isn't a tactic that um, just one group uses, but all groups use this in some form or fashion. Well, at least we're all tempted to use this, to cancel someone who has a different point of view than us, to no longer sit together in kind, open dialogue even if we have differences. Uh, with the presence of social media, uh, we see people very quickly cancel somebody, silence somebody, berate somebody, um, speak evil against someone, shame somebody simply because of the person they voted for or the view that they hold uh, regarding faith. Maybe uh, because of the way that they spend their finances. Maybe because of the school choice that they're making for their kids. Uh, maybe because of um, a host of different things. Immediately, we see different sides of this equation canceling somebody out. Um, but this is not, it's not new. It, it becomes... Um, really predominant in our culture, um, and even that phrase really surfacing in the past 10 years, but even being highlighted even more so in the midst of um, some of the recent uh, political elections, also in the midst of COVID, you could be culture uh, canceled because of your view on mask or not mask, or one way or the other. Uh, and so this has risen greatly, but it's not new. This has been something that has been happening for a long time. And in fact, the, the canceling that any of us may either give or receive, in all reality, is not, not that bad compared to the canceling that Christ got and that Peter was fearful of in this story right here. I mean, crucifixion was the canceling of the day. That's what was, was about to happen. And, and so none of us really are facing that, and yet the same fear of being canceled, the same fear that Peter had in that moment is something that we feel nowadays as well, afraid to share our belief for fear that someone would cancel us or reject us or shame us publicly in, in front of others. So I think this passage is very relevant uh, for us today, but it's mostly relevant because of what Christ does in the midst of those circumstances. It's not that we just need to do opposite of Peter because he was a bad example. It's what Christ did in the midst of this Peter's, this denial sandwich, if you will, what Jesus does in the middle of it is what's most important because it leads him to the cross and it leads him to be ultimately canceled and crucified there, uh, to rise from the dead, to offer salvation to all who repent and believe so that we too uh, don't have to be fearful like Peter, but are, can be willing to be canceled. And so we have to consider um, these truths for us. I, I've written a sentence for you there that summarizes it this morning, and it's, it's this, that following Jesus, our great high priest, means standing with him publicly 
and confessing him openly, even if we are canceled culturally. I want to read that again for you. If you've got notes, uh, you're taking notes this morning, I think it would be helpful uh, to have this summary statement before you in the week ahead, even for discussion later in D group. And it's this following Jesus, our great high priest, means standing with him publicly and confessing him openly, even if we are canceled culturally. Jesus had left the upper room with the disciples at the end of his prayer in John 17. He had gone out to the Mount of Olives, the Garden of Gethsemane, to pray. And it was there that he knew Judas would be bringing back a band of soldiers to be looking for him, to arrest him. And they, he asked them even, who are you looking for? And Jesus of Nazareth, they said, I am he. And at that, they fell back and fell to the ground. And he welcomed them back up, asking them again, who, I said, who did you come for? Jesus of Nazareth. I am he, he says. And so you have, just before our passage, these great declarations of Jesus saying, I am he who you come and look for, willing to be arrested and bound and wrongly tried and eventually crucified. And immediately after that great declaration, twofold, I am he, we read Peter's words saying, I am not. I am not. Are you one, aren't you one of his disciples? I am not. I'm not, one, I'm not one of his followers. I think John is attempting to get us to see the contrast between Jesus and Peter Jesus, who's willingly confessing his identity as the Christ, I am he, uh, uh, followed by Peter's denial, I am not, I am not. And, and in the midst of these denials of I am not and I am not, we see Jesus uh, again openly declare, I don't have to tell you anything new. I've already told you all openly uh, in, in, the, in the temples and in the synagogues. So, Let's look at it together. Let's look at this, this great um, paradox, really, this contrast between Jesus and, and Peter. And I described last week that as we travel from John 18 through the resurrection, we've got really seven scenes that we're looking at. And it's probably better if I were someone who took drama in high school or something like that. I, I probably would have better described them as seven acts. Because in the midst of each of these acts, there's several different scenes being played out. So we're in our second act, if you will, that happens to have several scenes in it. Uh, one of which picks up from where we were last week in verse 12. And here you might note this, the first thing of three this morning. Peter followed privately, but denied publicly. Peter followed privately, but he denied publicly. And so in verse 12, so the band of soldiers and their captain and the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him. Verse 13 says that first they led him to Annas, for he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year. It was Caiaphas who advised the Jews that it would be expedient that one man should die for the people. So the soldiers take him from the east on the Mount of Olives back down through the, the Kidron Valley, uh, back up to Jerusalem and, uh, towards the west, and they first lead him to Annas' house. Now Annas was the appointed high priest earlier on in Jesus' life, from A.D. 6 to A.D. 15, but after that he was set aside and his sons and son-in-law, Caiaphas, continued to reign. Caiaphas had the longest reign of, of his sons. Uh, and Caiaphas was the one that was reigning that year. This is the second time that John has told us that Caiaphas was the high priest that year. Which is an interesting note, probably both to the fact that high priests in the Old Testament were appointed for a lifetime. 
But here, the Roman government was in control. And so while they deposed uh, Annas from his rank at a certain point, they put Caiaphas in at another point. And so Caiaphas is the ranking high priest. And yet, Annas is is the father-in-law. He's he's the godfather, if you will. He's the one who essentially they have to go through to be able to get to Caiaphas. And so you often see Annas and Caiaphas together. They've brought Jesus first to Annas, uh, and then after our passage, they'll take him to Caiaphas to be questioned. John makes that abundantly clear. And we're reminded that it was Caiaphas who immediately following the uh, resurrection of Lazarus from the dead, Caiaphas, uh, there's a, a crowd that are b- beginning to believe in Jesus and wanting to see Lazarus and even hearing Lazarus speak, they're believing in Jesus. And it's Caiaphas who, among all the religious leaders, are questioning, what do we do about this? What are we, what are we going to do? Caiaphas is the one who stands up and boldly says, it's better for one man to die than the entire nation perish. That's back in John uh, chapter 11. Caiaphas unknowingly was actually predicting the, the crucifixion of Christ that literally would, his death would literally bring out the salvation of the entire uh, nation, really those who would repent and believe. And so Caiaphas predicted that uh, several chapters ago And John is reminding us of his words here as we're making this way of Jesus towards the cross. And so they've brought him to Annas. And as as Jesus goes into the courtyard there, it says that in verse 15, Simon Peter followed Jesus. And I want us to just remember that fact. Peter had boldly pulled out his sword moments ago. And with all of the other disciples, in a moment of protection, uh, ran uh, so that they too weren't arrested. But Peter secretly has uh, begun to follow Jesus and is is trying to follow what's happening in this. And we need to remember that because we're going to be commissioned and sent out of this place again in a few moments as followers of Christ, more encouraged and more strengthened in our faith to follow the Lord Jesus Christ with with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And yet it's going to be that moment when we face the world, those who have different views than us, those who potentially might cancel us, when we're in the midst of wanting to follow are going to be tempted to be silent tempted to fall back, tempted to be quiet in those moments. Peter is following Jesus in a way that probably some of the other disciples are not, and yet is unwilling for his following to lead him to speak openly and boldly. And so Peter is following, and so did another disciple. I think that's probably the Apostle John for Uh, John seems to have called himself the beloved disciple in this gospel and another disciple. And we always see Peter and this other disciple together uh, often. uh, uh, And and so thinking that that's John, Peter and John then are following closely. John writes, I think of himself that since that disciple was known to the high priest, he entered with Jesus into the court of the high priest. We don't know how John knew the high priest. We don't know what that relationship looked like, but he was known in some form or fashion that enabled him to get in close. And so John's able to get in, but Peter stood outside the door. So the other disciple in verse 16, who was known to the high priest, went out and spoke to the servant girl who kept watch at the door and brought Peter in. So you can imagine the scene. John's able to get in. He's got a card. You know, he shows his card. He gets in, gets all the way in. Peter's not able to get in. He's denied at the door by the bouncer, junior high servant girl. And so John has to go back to the door and say, hey, he's with me. 
let him in. And so he brings him in. And in that moment is where this young girl at the door says to Peter, you also are not one of this man's disciples, are you? And we can't hear like that teenage drama in her voice or that tone that's going on right now. We can't like actually see the scene. But just the question itself helps us to realize that she knows that John is a follower. She knows that John is somehow known by the high priest and is a follower. And she's questioning and saying, you're not one of them too, are you? You're not, you're not with him in that way, are you? We can read even in the questioning that she's looking at this situation with disdain and that like, that's not something to be proud of. And there he has that, that first of three denials. On, the, on the, the back end of Jesus saying, I am he, I am he, declaring who he was, here Peter says for the first time, I am not. I think John really wants us to see Peter's words in contrast to, to Jesus. And Peter, though wanting to follow near Jesus, was worried, uh, uh, and rightly so. I mean, we can make all the excuses we want. If he, with John, says to this servant girl that he's a follower of Jesus, and that gets spread around by this young girl, as messages often can. Um, he too might have been brought in with Jesus, bound with Jesus, ultimately eventually crucified with Jesus. So I, I, it's not that he's fearful of this young girl, but he's fearful of what might come from that in the end. And we can make all the excuses we want for him, even though it's right to be fearful of that Peter here fell into the temptation of protecting himself rather than standing with Christ. Here, Peter is following privately, but he's denying G Jesus publicly. He's both denying Jesus and, um, and really who he is, and he's also denying being identified with Jesus. And we need to make sure that when we go out into the world as a follower of Jesus, we need to realize that following and believing in Jesus, it may be a personal matter, but it's never a private manner. We have to be followers of Christ publicly. Baptism that Jesus commands demands that following Jesus is a public thing. Uh, otherwise, why would so many... Um, in our dear friend Timur's home country of the Muslim background, when they come to faith in Christ and will face great persecution, why not just keep it private if that were okay? But Christ demands that it be public in that we come forward and publicly are baptized and live our faith out publicly in sharing our faith with others. Following Jesus is a personal matter, but it's not a private matter manner. It's a corporate manner. As Christians, we're bound to one another. In the church, we're never to uh, simply be baptized alone in private, take the Lord's Supper alone in private, to do our Christian walk alone in private. People that even especially since COVID have not, not begun attending church, it's just not what Christ desired for us. He desired for us to be in a healthy corporate nature there. And so I want us to, to see that while what Peter was fearing is understandable and we will likely face situations potentially like that, um, even this week, we need to remember that Christ has called us to follow Him um, publicly, to follow Him boldly. But Peter denies it there. And so in verse 18, it says that the servants and the officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold, and they were standing and warming themselves. And then read this. Peter also was with them. 
standing and warming himself. You see, if we are afraid to publicly identify ourselves with Christ and to publicly declare the gospel, we will not be found with Christ. We will actually be found with the world. You're either for him or you're against him. And Peter, who is described in Mark 3.14 that Jesus chose these 12 to be with him, is unwilling to be with Jesus in this situation and is now seen comfortably with the soldiers and the officers warming themselves by the fire. If we will not publicly identify ourselves with Christ and and deny Christ and deny being a follower of Christ, we're going to be more with the world than we are with Christ. And we need to realize the repercussions of that, of which I'll get to in a little bit. This is Peter's situation here, uh, saying, I am not with Christ, and yet physically he is found being with them, standing with them. Let me urge us that we should be willing to be with Christ more than with anybody else. Doesn't matter the comfort that people offer us. Doesn't matter the fellowship that other people offer us. We need to be found with Christ. But beyond that, in, the, in, in that, that scene of this act where they're warming themselves around the fire, the camera pans over to the high priest, leaves that scene behind, and and. and scoots over a little bit to Annas, the high priest, and zooms in a little bit so that we can see this, what's happening while Peter's over by the fire. We'll get back to the Peter and the fire in a minute, but um, the Apostle John wants us to see what's happening there on the side. And we see in verse 19 that here, in contrast to Peter, Jesus spoke openly and yet was struck violently. Jesus spoke openly and yet was struck violently. The high priest, I think that's Annas, having been brought to the house of Annas first, then questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. So he's being questioned about, of course, his closest 12, which is now uh, 11 really because Judas has betrayed him, and about his teaching. And yet Jesus answered him in verse 20, I've spoken openly to the the world. I have always taught in the synagogues and in the temples where all Jews come together. I've said nothing in secret. Why Why do you ask me? Ask those who have heard me. And I said to them, they know what I said. Jesus is not here for any more questioning. He has spent his ministry answering the questions of all of these officials and of all of these Jews. He's done so openly. He's been open with his disciples traveling here and there. He has been in the temple and in the synagogues teaching openly. He's never been the kind of leader that would take a a certain following and get this following to keep segregating themselves and isolating themselves. No, he was public in that. There were times when Jesus, after having a public teaching, um, would go to have a meal with his disciples and they would question him about those things, wanting more details or wanting an explanation of a parable or something like that. But that's not what they're talking about. Jesus was saying, I have nothing to hide. Everything that I've ever said and everything that I've ever done has been right in front of you. I have nothing to hide. So just ask my disciples. Ask uh, all of you who have heard me. You, You all heard me say all of these things. Why don't you ask them? Well, one in the crowd didn't like that. And in verse 22, it says, When he had said these things, one of the officers 
standing by struck Jesus with his hand. Kind of a backhanded slap to the face saying, is that how you answer the high priest? And one of the things I noted in this passage is how many, how many times John in his writing of this, this act, of this play, is pointing out this high priest, who these high priests are. Seven, maybe eight times just in this section alone is this high priest. And then you have this question, is that how you answer the high priest? And what this guy doesn't realize is that he's actually standing uh, before the great high priest, one who will be a higher priest than Annas or Caiaphas ever will. will have more power than Annas or Caiaphas will ever be able to have themselves or give to any of their sons. I think there's a, a contrast supposed to be happening here, even between not only Peter and Jesus, but also between these almost self-appointed high priests uh, and their earthly temporary power uh, between Jesus and his eternal uh, power that he has. Um, Jesus responds in verse 23, Jesus answered him, if what I said is wrong, he commands, bear witness about the wrong. But if what I said is right, why do you strike me? Here Jesus was essentially opening himself up to the court of law of that day. And the court of law was not to question Jesus in that moment. The court of law should have gone to say, are there any witnesses? In the Old Testament, there's multiple different references that one is to be found guilty based on the evidence of two or three witnesses. And so Jesus is saying, I'm not going to self-incriminate. Everything that I've ever done and everything I've ever said was done in open public. You need to get some witnesses against me. But if what I said is right, where are the witnesses for that too? But we already heard that one of the witnesses could, who could have spoke for Jesus in that moment already said, I am not, and is silent. We don't see Peter standing up for Jesus, speaking for him in this moment. The other gospel writers will tell you about how they were seeking other witnesses to speak falsely and to give false testimony, but none could agree. Uh, until two rose up and bore false witness that was in agreement against Jesus and they were able to arrest him even more. But Jesus opens himself up to this because he is uh, intentionally bringing about not only his arrest, but his wrongful conviction and his eventual crucifixion in the end. Jesus is speaking openly about these things. In fact, this is what he has always done. And in John 7, verse 25, some questioned why Jesus, why the authorities weren't doing something earlier in Jesus' ministry when he was speaking so openly. And it says in 7.25, some of the people of Jerusalem therefore said, Is not this the man whom they seek to kill? And here he is, speaking openly, and they say nothing to him. Can it be that the authorities really know that this is the Christ? The fact that Jesus was speaking openly and the, the religious authorities uh, were fearful of speaking against him in that, in that day was actually causing some to think, well, maybe they do think that his testimony is true and is right. Maybe they do believe that he's the Christ. You see, their silence then and Peter's silence earlier caused people to think certain things. We need to be willing to open our mouths and boldly declare the gospel so that people don't assume. Because we know what happens when we assume about certain things. We need to boldly declare whose we are. Uh, we need to boldly declare who we are in Christ as his followers and his disciples, and make sure people know these things. And so Jesus, um, here, he's allowing his teaching, his entire life, his 
actions his entire life to speak for themselves. This is similar to God's declaration of himself in Isaiah chapter 45, verse 19, where he says, I did not speak in secret in a land of darkness. I did not say to the offspring of Jacob, seek me in vain. I, the Lord, speak the truth. I declare what is right. God goes a couple chapters later and invites those who heard him declare who he was to draw near to him. And yet, rather than drawing near to Jesus, in in the midst of all of the truth, in the midst of proving everything that he said was right, they're not drawing near to him. Um, They're actually driving him away, pushing him further and further. And yet Jesus encourages it because he knows it is through their wrongful conviction that he will be crucified and die and be buried and rise from the dead to offer eternal life to all who would repent and believe and follow him and be willing to identify themselves with him uh, and, and follow him, not privately, but follow him publicly and speak openly for him. Therefore, then, at the end of this passage, like I mentioned, uh, there, were, there was this sandwich in the middle of Jesus speaking openly and telling nothing in secret. But on both sides of that center section there, you have Peter denying Jesus with this phrase, I am not. And so after the camera had zoomed in to Jesus, Uh, It zooms back out and pans back over to where Simon is. And where is he? Verse 25, standing and warming himself, still there by the fire. Even though Jesus had invited witnesses for him or against him, Peter's still with the officers and those who have arrested Jesus comfortably uh, by the fire. And so here I'd lastly have you note this. Peter stood by comfortably but denied regrettably. Peter stood by comfortably, but denied regrettably. So Simon Peter, verse 25, is standing and warming himself. And they said to him, You also are not one of his disciples, are you? Just like the servant girl had said before. And he denied it. And for the second time, we see this phrase, I am not. Again, in contrast to Jesus willingly saying, I am He. Uh, Even knowing that would bring about His arrest and His crucifixion here, Peter's unwilling to do that. He would rather have the comfort of the fire and the protection that he was experiencing in that moment more than having his arms chained behind him and dragged to be stand, standing next to Jesus in that moment. But not only two times. In verse 26, one of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, did I not see you in the garden with him? And you wonder if the light of the fire is there standing around that, that one guy who was just out on the Mount of Olives, uh, a relative, cousin maybe, of the guy who had his ear chopped off and watched that whole scene. John's the only one that tells us this happens because he was there. He's giving us some more of these details. But you can imagine that guy saying, you know, wait a second. W- were you not there when my cousin's ear was chopped off in that moment and Peter again denied it and then we hear these uh, these awful words and at once the rooster crowed for back in John chapter 13 verse 38 uh, Jesus had uh, in the midst of Peter saying no way Jesus I'll die with you I'll do whatever happens I'm with you I will follow you publicly I I will be killed with you. Jesus said, that's nice, Peter, but um, by the time the rooster crows, you will have denied me three times. Peter here 
hears the rooster crow, and all of the sudden, the other gospel accounts will tell us that he is full of regret, full of remorse, realizing that what Jesus said um, earlier actually came true. That even though uh, Peter had this great passion to follow Jesus publicly and be willing to be killed for him, when push came to shove and he was tempted to be comfortable and tempted to stand with others so that he wasn't persecuted with Jesus, he fell short. He fell prey to sin and, and temptation and, and was found with the, the soldiers rather than with Jesus in that moment. So Peter here again is described as standing comfortably but denying Jesus regrettably. And is that not true of so many situations in our own life? And I could give you countless opportunities I've had to stand up for the name of Jesus, to stand up and say that I was a disciple of Jesus. I can tell you all the different times of being in certain crowds of uh, other people and you hear the question going around, well, hey, what do you do? What do you do? You know, what do you do for a living? And I'm just waiting for it. Oh. You know, it's going to get around to me and I'm going to have the wonderful privilege of telling everybody I'm a pastor. And everybody in the conversation all of a sudden just goes, oh. Yeah, I, I go uh, to that church on the corner. Uh, what's the name of that church? St. Um, yeah, I know it's just uh, skipping my mind. I, you know, and the language that was used around the crowd, and you know, all of a sudden now it was like, uh, oh, sorry, uh, forget, you know, hey, this between you and the Lord, not between us. You know, you don't have to apologize to me. How many times I've been tempted to divert the conversation or to come up with another job title? in that moment because I don't want to have to enter into that conversation. I remember being in one situation uh, where there was a literal contract being signed by someone ha having very different views than me. And them asking me literally this question. Last question I have for you. What did you preach on this morning at church? And I had, the I had just been preaching Genesis chapter 2 about marriage. And had the internal, like, like five seconds that seemed like an hour going on in my, in my soul saying, are you going to say the truth and lose the contract? Or are you going to speak the, tru uh, say, say, speak the truth and lose the, potentially lose the contract? Or... Just, just gloss over something easy that we can all agree upon, sign the contract, and go about your day. Man, it was one of those moments. I, I told you I had thousands of the other ones. That was, like, that was one of the few <laughs> that I was able to boldly stand into that conversa conversation and just speak the truth. And I ended up signing the contract. It went forward, praise the Lord, but those are the real-life situations that Peter's dealing with here, that you're going to be dealing with when you go away from this place. Thanks be to God, this wasn't Peter's last story in the Bible. Jesus is crucified. He's buried. He's raised from the dead. Um, Jesus comes back to Peter and looks him in the eye three more times and says, Do you love me? And Peter says, you know I love you. Probably even saying, I loved you then too. I just was weak. I, was sinned. I fell into sin in those moments. You know I love you. And Jesus saying, then feed my sheep three different times. That just before Jesus said, I want you to wait. After I ascend to heaven, I want you to wait for a little bit. And I'm going to send the helper. So that in the midst of those weak moments, You'll have a helper to strengthen you with power to not fall prey to temptation again. And so Peter waits with the rest of the disciples in the upper room. The Holy Spirit comes in might and in power 
in Acts chapter 2. And what do you find Peter doing right after that? Boldly preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. Teaching all of the new believers at the end of Acts 2, the apostles' teaching. God even doing miraculous signs through Peter in healing a man that caused Peter and John to have to stand before, guess who? Annas and Caiaphas in Acts chapter 4. And so Peter and, uh, Peter and John are standing before them, and it says in Acts chapter 4, verse 5, On the next day their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John, not that John, but John and Alexander and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, By what power? Or by what name did you do this, this healing? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we're being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead. By him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Verse 13. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished. Why? They recognized that they had been with Jesus. Peter's no longer comfortably standing with the officers and soldiers by the fire. No, he is boldly in open declaring the gospel and who he is a follower of and where salvation is found in Jesus Christ alone. And their only response to that in that moment is like, this man has been with Jesus. Might that be said of us when we go out this place? We may be canceled. We may be silenced. We may be shamed. We may be fired. We may, be not, may not be promoted. We may not get that contract. Uh, we may lose friendships. We may not be invited to the parties or the dinner or the family get-together anymore. All of that may happen. But you'll be standing together with Christ rather than being found comfortably at, at the fire. Now, there's an intentionality and a mission that we need to be around those who might cancel us and might shame us and all of that. But when push comes to shove, are we going to be found being with Christ or with the world? Jesus told us clearly uh, what those who deny him, what will happen. Matthew chapter 10, verse 32. Jesus says, So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. Let me encourage you Christians who have, like me, denied the Lord this past week maybe in words and our actions. Let me just encourage you um, for a moment just to believe the gospel and to repent and to stand back up in the strength of the Holy Spirit and walk in obedience. This week, um, yes, there is regret, um, but when we repent of that, that sin was paid for by Christ on the cross. It's not something that Satan or your mind or your heart can hold over you any longer. Let that go and stand up better t this afternoon than you did this past week. Don't deny him again. Uh, live a life that is more on the tra trajectory of acknowledging Him rather than denying Him. And keep growing in that. Keep repenting of when you fall short. 
Mark chapter 8, 38, for whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in glory of his Father with the holy angels. Confess times when you've been ashamed to be identified with Christ rather than being identified with the world. Confess that to the Lord and trust him again in the strength of the Holy Spirit to no longer be ashamed in that. John would go on to write in his letter to the early church, 1 John 2.23, No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. And so while I've been encouraging those of us who are Christians who have fallen short and need to repent again and, and trust Christ again to help us in the power of the Holy Spirit later this week, there may be some, some of you who have thought up to this point you could live a private Christian life and you've never been willing to publicly identify yourself with Christ, confess your faith to Christ, repent of your sins to, to Christ and to someone else. I want to encourage you to this very day, um, come and talk to one of us and, and identify yourself with Christ through repentance and faith and trust him now and forevermore. And be willing to be called one of his own in this. We're going to have the opportunity to partake of the Lord's Supper together in a, just a moment. Those of us who have publicly identified ourselves as Christians, having repented of our sins and believed in him, having come forward publicly in baptism and following Christ's command obediently, and have even joined this church to do that with one another corporately, not privately, but corporately together, we have an opportunity to eat and drink in remembrance of Christ. Jesus, who is our great high priest, who in Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews in chapter 2, verse 17 says, Therefore, he made him be like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation or payment for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. I want that to be our, our, our Scripture for memory uh, as we are eating and drinking this morning. Because as we together as Christ church, we come up and we break this bread and take the cup. When we come forward, I want us to remember that Christ was struck for us. Um, Messianic Jews, in fact, who use this kind of bread, matzah bread, at their Seder meals will actually look at this bread and they will see the, the stripes that are on it and will remember that Jesus was uh, struck for us and was whipped and striped for us, if you will. Look at the bread that you're breaking this morning and remember that Christ not only took a hand to the face for you, but was eventually crucified for you. Look at the bread and see the holes purposely placed in the bread, uh, not to make it taste any better, because we all know that to be not the case, but to remind us of Jesus who was crucified with nails piercing his hands and his feet. When you come forward this morning and you break that bread freshly, consider that Christ was struck for you. Uh, and he did it to help you when you're tempted and facing being struck yourself, that you would be reminded that he went to the cross for you. He went to heaven for you, is interceding for you, sent his Holy Spirit to help you when you're tempted to shy away because you're going to be canceled by the culture around you, would you look to Christ who didn't shy away from the cross for you but was willing to go to the cross for you? Would you then be willing to be identified with him this afternoon, this week, when you have the opportunity to be identified with him? Let me pray. Father, I thank you for sending your one and only son on this mission 
Jesus, thank you for being willing to go all the way to the cross. We know that you were un, not willing to be private and be quiet, to do this in secret, but you spoke openly and you were willing to be wrongly convicted and crucified for us. You are our great high priest. We have no other high priest who can go before us. There's no other action needing to be done to forgive us of our sins and make payment. It's you and your body and your blood alone that washes away our sin. Jesus, we remember you this morning. We remember the help that you offer us in the Holy Spirit that helped Peter go from being a cowering disciple in the corner around the fire warming himself to boldly declaring who you are, who he was in you, and who they ought to be in repentance and faith. It was your resurrection. It was your Holy Spirit that, that enabled him to do that. Might we be strengthened by the truth of the resurrection and the power of the Holy Spirit this week. God, I pray that if there's anyone here who's yet to repent and believe, they've yet to publicly um, come forward and confess that to someone or to be baptized with those of us who have believed, that they would use these moments to consider coming forward, repenting, believing, and being baptized in the weeks ahead. And consider what it would really mean to follow Jesus, not privately, but publicly. And to be identified with him, even if they get canceled by the culture around them. Lord Jesus, in eating this, now strengthen us to open our mouths later. We ask and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Again, if you have repented of your sins, trusted Christ. You've been baptized and identified publicly with him in baptism. We want to invite you to eat and drink of this meal with us. Stand where you're at. Go to the outside aisles between the tables and the chairs. Come and break the bread with um, more rem remembrance this morning that Christ was struck and pierced for you in a small way in our passage, but ultimately at the cross. Take the cup in remembrance of his bread. Take it back to your seat, back through this center aisle, and we'll eat and drink together and sing his praise uh, for who he is and for what he's done. So would you stand with me? Break and take, and we'll lead you to eat. And drink.